I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself, but behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and, and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly, for what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly. There is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceived that the same event happened to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring rem remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten, how the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after wind. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun, because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God, for apart from him who can eat or who can have enjoyment. For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Let's pray. 
Lord, uh, we just come before you, um, just humbled by your mercy. Um, Lord, we just thank you for the opportunity to come here as a family um, and worship you. We know that you are the one. You are all. You are um, why we come here. Um, Lord, this is all about you and not about us. Um, Lord, I just thank you for your word um, and the wisdom that it imparts. Um, I just pray for your message. And that be from the Holy Spirit um, and not from Richard. And I just thank you for, uh, again, this time to come and, and be together. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, this morning we have uh, Richard. Um, he's um, at Riverview uh, Baptist Church, which is in St. Paul. So he is the youth and family minister there. Is that, is that correct? Youth and young adults. Okay. I, got I was close. Young adults are family too, right? <laughs> uh, so yeah, so it's like um, we're just grateful that he is here uh, to bring the message through this morning. Thanks. All right, I think I got pressed the right button for unmuting, but I was told Mark puts his Bible here, and then paper over here. Is that right? That's too too tricky for me. I'm gonna have it separate. Uh, on just one pl thing here. Well, as you already heard, it, we're going through Ecclesiastes 2 this morning. Uh, it's not an exciting book for most people. Uh, it seems like, what are we doing in Ecclesiastes? But hopefully by the end, you're like, okay, I can see some of the point here. Uh, but before we jump into the text, let me give you a, a little bit of a quiz here. Um, you're going to try, I'm going to give you a list of people, some names, you try to find the commonality between all these different people. So let's go. Richard the Lionhearted, Blaise Pascal, George Washington, Augustus Caesar, Vladimir the Impaler, George or Garrett M Morgan, John Walker, Mary Wollstonecraft. Did anybody know all those? No, I'm guessing you didn't. They're pretty obscure people, some of them. But hopefully you knew some of them, at least some of them. The commonality between all of them is they're dead. Yes, yes, someone got it. That's great. One time one of my students said, oh, they're, they're, they're human. I'm like, well, yes, they, so that means they have to die. So kind of right. Um, yeah, so they're all dead. And no matter how important they were, if they ruled the Roman Empire or they went on the Crusades or they just wrote a, a little book or they invented frozen food, doesn't matter. They all died, and people can't remember what they did for the most part. Their accomplishments or achievements died with them, and most of them were actually just forgotten that they even did any of these things. And that's what, what Ecclesiastes is dwelling on throughout the book, and especially in this chapter, is what is the, the gain in life? If we can do all these things, is there a way we, we can find gain or not? And he wants to say, okay, I have all these opportunities of ways to test and see. I'm going to do that for everyone here so that they don't have to go through all these tests. They can just hear my words of wisdom and live life in light of that. So Solomon puts on the garb of, he calls himself a teacher in the book. and Because he's, he's not coming to his um, court officials as like, okay, I'm your king, do what I say. He's coming to them as like, I'm, your, I'm a sage here. I want to help you guys think through and do these things rightly. And that's what's born the whole book of Ecclesiastes. 
to catch us up on chapter 2, chapter 1 starts with him saying, okay, vapor of vapors, everything is a vapor. Now, different translations are going to translate that word differently, uh, but the literal word there is vapor or breath. And, so, and, and the idea with that is quite literally vapor breath. So like when, when you breathe in the morning and you can see the breath and it's gone, like that's the idea of vapor and breath there. Or, and so there's three different ideas. This vapor idea is used throughout our passage and throughout the whole book. Um, and that kind of gives us an outline of where he's getting at. So first, we have the, uh, when, you, when you breathe a breath, it's there, but it's gone as soon as it also went. So it's transient. Vapors are transient. They come and go really fast. But vapor can also be, second, something that is um, ungraspable. You see the breath. It's there. It takes up actual space. But you try to grab it, and your hands have come empty every time. And then the third sense is vapor like in a smoke. The, s- the smoke from a fire, if you breathe that in, you're going to start coughing or it's going to sting your eyes, right? So it's, it's that foul kind of air of vapor can be as well. And those are the three uses that Solomon uses throughout the book, but usually he's using it in the ungraspable sense. It's vanity is okay, but it's not, not the best way to, to, to put it. I think he's, he's focusing on the, the vapor in that sense. And everything is a vapor in one of those ways. So chapter one, he, he, picks, he starts us out saying that everything's a vanity and nature itself shows us that. Things are just on repeat, not getting any kind of gain. They're not getting anywhere. It's same old things keep coming back up, just in different coatings. Then, then halfway through the chapter one, verse 12, he starts saying, okay, well, if nature itself is that way, maybe as a human, I can break from that. Because, you know, we're, like, we're the pinnacle of creation kind of a thing, Right? We got this. But he's like looking around at everyone around him and he's saying, you know, everyone's working really hard, but they're not like getting gain either. And in fact, everyone's kind of striving after the wind. So, okay, so that's not, but maybe since I'm smarter than everybody else and I can go through all this education, get all these degrees, I can maybe surpass my peers and figure it out for them and then help them out. Because someone was wise. We, we got to give them that. So he tries education, pursues it, and he finds out even that is striving after the wind. He actually kind of despairs. He, he t- learns more what he doesn't know through pursuing education. So all his degrees did not pay off. And so here, chapter 2, is where he picks up in the midst of that, trying to pursue this test of experience to see, will any of these things actually give me the gain I'm searching for? And he starts out saying, okay, so now I'm going to ch- turn to come. Now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. Now, we, th- we, we see that. We see some of, th- some of the things he's going through, and we think, is this like he's actually trying to do all this stuff? It seems kind of like he's going down the route of like debauchery, like self-indulgence to the extreme. But he gives us two qualifying phrases in verse 3 and 9 that are purposefully put there. He wants to make sure that he says, verse 3, my heart still guiding me with wisdom. Verse 9, also my wisdom remained with me. He's testing out all these things. He's going to go through pleasure, success of industry, power, prestige, possessions. He's going to go all these things. They test them out in a way that's wisely done. Not just, we, we all know by common sense, you just go full in on, on you just get, get drunk to drunkenness. It doesn't work. 
Whereas a, a drink might help, might, help, might help loosen you up a little, a little bit, kind of thing. Or if you try to laugh all day long, it's not going to be a, an enjoyable experience, kind of a thing. So he's saying, no, I am testing these things out in best case scenarios to see if they work out in that way. And that's where he gets, and so then now we can see, okay, with that background, we can say, all these pleasures now he's going to go through. And he, he says, laughter. It's there a moment, and it's gone. Drink, it's there for a little bit, but then it's gone. These simple pleasures he starts out with testing. And they're all transient by nature. They come and go like that. The pleasure is tied to the thing in joy. When that thing is gone, it's gone. It's tied to that moment. And it may be some kind of a satisfaction that slips into memory, but memory is not what the heart desires. Heart desires the enjoyment itself. So the simple pleasures are vapors, things that come and go. But then we see in verse 4, he starts, okay, I, I made great works. I built houses that even HGTV would want to build. But that doesn't work either. Even that is, it flies away. He planted gardens and vineyards and like the seven wonders of the world kind of a thing. And it, it almost seems like he's taking dominion over the world. He's doing Garden of Eden in the right way. But the Garden of Eden still remains elusive, doesn't come back. Even with his most capable hands, he's still stuck under the, under the sun, outside of heaven, in a fallen world. And in case it's like, okay, he tried simple pleasure, he tried industry, maybe I should try to test out a few more things. So he, go, so he tests out power and possessions. He gets slaves, kings come and pay tribute to him. He's got power. He's the most richest man in the world. He's the most popular celebrity in the world. He's got gold and jewels flowing out of his pockets. He can go fly to space if he wants to kind of a thing. He can pay anything he wants. And he's, and he's a picture of success and accomplishment for any age. But all the dreams and fantasies that would tempt or even haunt our souls, he tries them, has them, and he drank deeply from them without letting his wisdom of moderation leave him. But all these things still came and went. They're vapors. Again, transient by nature. None of these things exclude that description. The intro was really meant. Vapor, vapors. Everything is a vapor. It comes and goes. Part of our mortal life. So he stepped back from all this in verses 9 through 11. 11, he gives it kind of his review of it and says, Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and striving after a wind. So in the midst of it, he realized their tran transient nature. They change, they come and they go. But then stepping back and looking at it, he said, And also, I tried to use them for grasping on to gain, and I couldn't hold on to it. All these things were there for a while in the transient nature, but then I couldn't hold on to that joy. I couldn't even, like prolong it. When I came to the end of the life, I couldn't stockpile all that joy and say, here's what I have. It was gone. Ungraspable. Even though Solomon had the most capable hands in the world, he was wiser than all of us in being able to handle everything from diplomacy to these pleasures. They still slipped even through his fingers. 
Yes, he experienced them, but he couldn't keep them. So they're vapor, both transient and ungraspable. And it's supposed to kind of leave us like deflated. Like, really? This is all we got? <laughs> all these things that I thought were going to be good, you just said are nothing. <laughs> they're vapors. And if we don't feel that, that kind of deflate, we're not really hearing what he's saying. Everything's a vapor and will not be with you at the end of all things. Everything we work so hard to accomplish will slip through our fingers. If we actually accept and believe that, what Solomon's trying to give us, how would that change how we live? How would that change what we value? I don't think idolatry of the heart would be nearly as big of a deal if we recognize these things were vapors. None of us goes outside and is trying to catch smoke particles because we realize it's really foolish. None of us goes out and saying, oh, there's the wind. Let's go after it. Chase it. So, <laughs> again, we, we recognize it's folly. We saw these, everything in life had that common nature to it. This medicine of Solomon would be much more useful to our hearts. But while those things kind of, he leaves those, let's, 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 those ideas kind of fester in our hearts before he gets to the conclusion by first addressing a couple of things in 12 through 17. Verse 12 through 14, he goes on this idea of, okay, so maybe it's not what we do, but maybe the manner of how I do it. We can do wisdom or folly when we pursue all these things. And it's like, well, then I saw that there is more gain, verse 13, in wisdom than in folly, as there's more gain in light than darkness. So he recognizes, yes, there is more gain in wisdom than folly, but the gain is more like you're walking with eyes wide open that these things are vapors. Rather than a, in folly, it's like, oh, wait, I don't have any stuff at the end? You're surprised. You're caught blindsided by it. Wisdom's aware of that and says, okay, I know these things are coming. That's more the advantage he's talking about. And, as referenced earlier, to not pursue debauchery. But he, he mentions that just to say, yes, I, I acknowledge that advantage. You can see these things coming and hope, hopefully pursue joy rightly in light of that. But, he says, and yet, the same event happens to them all. At the prudent king and the village idiot both die. Death is the great equalizer. It's the reality that all pleasures are of no gain. Everything's ungraspable. Everything's transient changing and fading fast. Our pleasures, simple pleasures, those fade the fastest. Our accomplishments may take more time to fade, but they'll still fade. And even our life and our wisdom will be forgotten. He says, for the wise, verse 16, as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance. We're all going to be forgotten. It's like some of those names you heard in the intro. We forget who they are. People will forget who we are. Even our grandkids, our great-grandkids are like, wait, Axel? Who's that? Oh, he's your great-great-grandpa. Oh, right. Got it. You, you fade, even it, with those who might be the most important. But that forgetfulness, well, it's kind of a, like, okay, again, more pessimistic. Okay, get over it, Solomon. Let's keep on going here. He's really not being that bleak or pessimistic. He's being very real. Death is a bleak reality, but it is the reality. And he wants us to look at life and say, 
Death is coming. So in light of that, how do we live? Christian and non-Christian alike face death. We're not saved from that. We're saved from the eternal death if we're a Christian. We still have to, the things of this world still are lost. Now we hate to contemplate and remember that we're, we're going to die, especially like the younger we are, the more we're invincible, right? We can jump off of playgrounds and not get hurt. We'll still be fine. We, but as we get older, we're like, oh, there's an edge there. Okay, I realize my mortality. I'm not going to go for it. But, let, but as we get older, we also get distracted from that. We like to say, oh, well, I don't want to think about that. I want to think about, you know, last night's TV episode or the video game I'm about to beat or that really important political topic. These things are all things that can distract us. Entertainment, news, politics, family, all decent things in the right context. But we l- tend to like to use them as ways of avoiding the reality that death comes. And Solomon's saying, I recognize that, but look at it. Look at death here and say, it's coming. Now what does that say for what you're doing? Everything's a vapor, unkeepable, and quickly passing. Are you living that way? And to go just one step further, make sure we, we've really got this, he goes in verses 18 through 22, saying that everything is a vapor in the sense that it's, it gives us foul taste in our mouths, foul smell to our nose. As we live wisely and gain any or all the pleasures of this world, death makes us pass that on to somebody else. Everything we, we gather, accumulate, when we die, we have to give to somebody else. This means we have no benefit to us. It has to go to somebody else. So even if it's benefit to them, you have no gain from it. It's the evil reality, even those good things that you've accumulated. People, relationships, they're gone when you die. So Solomon needs us to see and feel that part before we go to the end. We need to see that in death, we're naked. Naked we came, naked we leave. If we learn to grasp that, then we can say, that settled in. He puts this on repeat several times throughout the book, and then even in this chapter, he said it a bunch of times, different ways, right? He wants that redundancy to say, I want it to sink in really deep so that then you can hear this conclusion that I have in verse 24. All these things, education, pleasure, industry, power, possessions, wisdom, try them out. Verse 24, he says, there's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. When we read that, we're like, wait, what? Didn't you just say all those things were pointless? All those things are here and gone? Well, he's, he wants to do the head scratcher. He just spent the first two chapters saying all these things are gone. But these are the best things this life has to offer. There's nothing better. That's, that's what creation is, is those things. But the key is in the qualifier. These things are gifts from God. If we recognize that, we can see this key distinction that gives us two things. It changes first our expectations of these things, and second, 
pushes us towards faith. Take a look at each, each of those. So first, the gift of enjoyment from God changes our expectations of the gifts to be just temporary. We don't look for these things to have a permanent joy from them or to try stockpile up at the end of our life. We were like, no, I enjoy this thing. It's over, and it's done. Chapter 3 is going to go through everything has a season. Do this and that for a season. He's like, just enjoy those things the season you have, and then let them go when they're gone. Enjoy them in that moment. Don't expect permanent satisfaction from transient things. And that could be said from like any wisdom book could say that, right? This is in Scripture. He further gives us the second thing. Someone's describing the primacy of faith in enjoying life. Everything is to be seen and enjoyed as a gift from God. The things in and of themselves, by their nature, come and go. They cannot satisfy for long, and they cannot withstand the test of death. But when they are gifts from God and seen as such, they are a means for us to rejoice in, honor, and delight God. They're a means for us to relate to God, the everlasting creator, through these transient things. Faith in God and recognition of his provision of these enjoyments makes all those joys what they ought to be, celebrating the provider of these things. This point of primacy is huge. I mean, he's, someone's calling us to faith in all things. We think about it, we still get to enjoy all pleasures of life. It's like, yes, I still get to do fun things. But, not, but they're not just that. They are a way for us to connect to God who is forever. And that's a huge benefit. It's not nihilism where he's like, oh, that's all there is. No, he's saying this is faith in the living God. Faith through all things at all times. Prayer without ceasing. If we're enjoying these things, trying to relate to God, where are we talking to him? Prayer happens through with that. We're not going to be anxious about the things. We're not concerned about those primarily. It's more about God. This is what it looks like to seek first the kingdom of God, as Jesus puts it. So this really isn't something that's unique to Solomon. Jesus in Sermon on the Mount has, goes on this for about 30 verses, the same idea. So Solomon's not off his rocker. He's not just some pessimistic depressant. He's teaching in a different way, the same idea. Moth and rust destroys everything here. So treasure what is beyond here, God. It's this simple teaching, but Solomon wants us to, act, to, to feel the reality of it in all of life. Only faith seeks God, and we need to have faith in all things. Simple, plain message, but it's not very easy still. Still a lot of work to try to enjoy and honor God in everything we do. But if we look at our lives, comparing it to what Solomon told us to do so far, how are we approaching the pleasures of life? Do the pleasures we enjoy of food, friends, family draw us toward God? Or do we use them as such? Still enjoying all those things in their own right, 
Do they move us toward God or do they move us away from God instead? Pleasures can become easy idols. And addictions can form really fast when we th- think these things are, oh, it's an, a really effective salve in and of itself. But they trick us by gra- into grasping at vapor. How about our work, our jobs, or our chores if you're a kid, right? How are you approaching them? Do you enjoy your work as God's provision for you and your family and a reminder of your dependence upon him? Our work should lead us toward asking, seeking, and knocking at the door of a God who loves to have us seeking him that way. How about our education and our wisdom? In school especially, how do we, who do we seek to please as we're learning all these things? What are we trying to gain? Our chief gain, our only gain that we keep forever is knowing God and pleasing him. Apart from that, we create our own evils. And if these questions show any sins in your heart as they, as they, they do mine, as I, as I reflect on this every time, the path isn't despair. The path is turning from where we tend to wander, where we tend to have idols, and say, I trust Christ to forgive my sin, and I need your help to do this rightly. He understands the difficulty and is ready to equip us for every good work. Whatever our particular weakness is for idolizing the treasures all around us, everything should be seen as a gift from God. The things themselves are vapors. You can't grasp, and they won't last. So be sure that we are using these things all around us as means to connect to God. It doesn't degrade the means. We still enjoy the means as the means but not merely having that. Looking beyond and saying, I'm doing this, I'm, I'm loving this as part of honoring God as well. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word and how it does challenge us to turn from our sinful ways to not grasp onto things that are ungraspable, but help us to seek you in all things and above all things. Give us hearts that love to enjoy what you give us and honor you in that enjoyment. Praise things in Jesus' name. Amen.